Order of Worship, 9.30. And he was like, what? <laughs> but yeah. we know Pastor Gary sometimes can, you know, his communication skills can lack. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, we'll just leave that alone. Can you hear me? Yeah. Back there? Okay. So, first of all, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. It feels really strange standing here this morning. Um, this was my church. This is the church, this is the congregation that got me back with the Lord. So, bear with me today. It's a, I, it was fine coming in here. I walk in here, I see all the faces, and I've done this a lot, and this is the first time I'm going, okay, Lord. <laughs> here we go. But I'm honored to be standing here in front of you for Pastor Gary and a combined service, no less, because as you heard in the opening prayer and the prayer you just took and the future of the church, you know, wow, you guys really stood up for what you believe in and you stood up for the Lord as we heard. And I want to say thank you for you to showing up today, right? Pastor's away. It's easy to play hooky. But you didn't do it, so uh, I promise you, I won't go too long, because I understand we got donuts and coffee back here, so I won't, I won't go too far. Oh, cake and cookies, okay. I'm more interested in the coffee, but okay. So anyway, so when Gary asked me to fill in, we were actually up at First Church, and um, I asked him, what's the topic supposed to be? And he comes back, typical Gary, do whatever you want, it's up to you. I laughed in my head, I'm going, really? Do you know what goes on up here? You may not want that. So I asked him, what, what's a church been working on? What, you know, what have you been working on? And he said you've been working on a study, uh, how do you put it, as the major doctrines of the church, laity. So I understand that you've covered God's word, being the Bible and how it's reliable and authoritative, authoritative. God the Father, the creator and the sustainer because of his love. God the Son, acting in the word to extend salvation to everyone. And then last weekend, covered God's grace, where no one is perfect, but God's grace is. Is that, is that about right? Okay. So to keep this moving forward, today we're going to talk about God the Spirit and how he works in us. But rest easy. Like I said, Gary will be back next week to clean up this message and build upon what we start here today. So let us pray. Father, we humbly come before you this morning with praise and a thankful heart. Father, you created this beautiful day for us, and we thank you. We thank you for getting us here this morning safely so we can fellowship with one another and allowing me to talk about the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that these words are your words. I pray that you see me this morning, that you use me this morning to share the good news to the one you sent to help us and guide us. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do a little interactive here to get things started this morning. So I ask that you play along with me. I'm going to ask you a question and respond. Yeah, everybody's on the spot this morning. So if I'm on the spot, you're on the spot. So here's the first question. Do you believe in God? Yes. That's kind of weak. Do you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Son of God who died to pay for our sins, past, present, and future? Yes. Did you ask Jesus into your life? Yes. Did you allow your heart to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. 
Okay. There's an old saying that I actually heard for the first time right here from Pastor Kenny Hickman. You can miss heaven by 18 inches. How many remember that phrase? We all have knowledge of God in our heads, but do we necessarily have him in our heart? There's 18 inches between knowing God and believing in God. And that's why I asked if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. All believers had, and I emphasize had, an emptiness in their hearts. Unfortunately, some believers might still have it. That emptiness can only be filled with the Holy Spirit. For many outside of the church, and sadly for some in the church, God the Spirit is hard to understand. For most Christians, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, is a fact. But do we fully understand it? How can one person be three people at the same time? The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God, dwells within all believers. He instantly becomes part of us when we accept the grace, saving grace of Jesus Christ. So to help to understand this, I'm going to approach it in three steps. First, we'll talk about how he's part of the Trinity. Then we'll talk about his role in the Trinity. And then the most important part, what his role is in our lives. So before I get started, I must confess that although my face is strong, and I thought I knew the Holy Spirit, preparing for this morning, I gained a lot of clarity about him and realized I only knew him superficially. And a quick disclaimer before we go farther. farther God the Spirit is called by many different names, and I've already used a couple of them. Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Advocate, Spirit of God, Holy Ghost, and many others. I tried to only use one name when I wrote this, and I failed. So keep it in mind, with all the different names I'm using, I'm talking about the Spirit of God today. Did you know the Holy Spirit was with God right from the very start? Right there in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Not God the Father, like I thought in the beginning, but God the Spirit. Later in verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's the likeness of the Trinity. Jesus declares the Holy Spirit's place in the Trinity at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus again declares it in the upper room with the disciples in John 14, verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring you all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So just as the God the Father and God the Son are 
are person-like figures, so is God the Spirit. And here's a few characteristics from the Bible to help me illustrate this point. The Holy Spirit has a mind and also has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He can forbid us or permit us. In Acts 16, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were prohibited from going on two mission trips. But the Spirit only allowed them to do it when the time was right. The Holy Spirit also verbally speaks. He loves, he grieves, and he prays. The Spirit of God is a deity, or supernatural, if you will. Just as God the Father is, and here's a quick illustration of the point. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. David in Psalms 139 says he cannot escape God's Spirit. It says, where, I, where can I go from the Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. I tend to think of the story of Jonah and the whale. Right? Even in the belly of the whale, deep in the sea, Jonah couldn't get away from God. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He's eternal. He is called God. So I hope that wasn't too much, but I wanted to get you to understand a little bit of who he was and proof in the Bible that he's part of the Trinity. So what role does he play in the Trinity? I use a lot of different reference uh, books to help me understand what the scriptures say in combination with prayer. And one of my favorites is Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. And I'm going to paraphrase what it says uh, on a certain commentary from that book. He likens the Trinity to a construction site, if you can believe it. And work with me on this. God the Father is the idea man. He sees the big picture. It's the concept of what he wants, and he has the ultimate say. The son is like the architect. He works side by side with the idea man, but he has a very specific purpose. The Holy Spirit is like the general contractor. He's responsible for the day-to-day -day stuff. When I first read this, I thought to myself, that's ridiculous. But the more I thought about it, it kind of makes sense. We know God. God's over everything. Jesus came and had his ministry on earth to save us all. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, he's the busy guy. From the creation of the earth found in Genesis, he's the author of the Old Testament. And examples of this can be seen in Samuel Isaiah and Jeremiah. He's also the author of the New Testament. Proof can be seen in John, 1 Corinthians, 2 Peter, and Revelations. Did you know the Holy Spirit anointed more than 16 Old Testament figures? Here's a couple. Think about it. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, that I forgot about, Saul, David, 
Elijah, Daniel. That's just to name a few. The Holy Spirit guided Jesus from conception to ascension. In Luke, we read how the Holy Ghost was involved in the supernatural conception of Jesus and the Virgin Mary. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God at his baptism, Matthew 3.16, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. Jesus was also full of the Holy Spirit, as found in Luke 4, verse 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, the God of the Son of the God of Son, the Son of God, while here on earth in his human body, was full of the Holy Spirit. That's the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, that we have in us. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And he was even with him at the cross. And now it's time to look at the final part. What the Holy Spirit is to us. Remember, when we accepted Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit was with us immediately. We didn't have to do a thing. He joined to us immediately. The Holy Spirit seals the approval of our pathway to heaven. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In him, being Jesus, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until redemption. That promise of salvation cannot be taken away. The Holy Spirit has sealed it. The promise cannot be broken. That's not to say that we, you and me, can't break it. But God cannot break his promise to us. Just as the Spirit guided and helped Jesus, he's here to do the same for us. Once Jesus was gone, the Holy Spirit was sent to the upper room for what today we know as Pentecost. Everyone in the upper room was so full of the Holy Spirit that day that they appeared to be drunk to those who saw them. Imagine the level of joy and excitement they must have felt to appear that way to others. Think back to your rebirth. When you were born again into and accepted into the family of God. Do you remember how that felt? Maybe you were like those in the upper room, getting excited and happy. The question is, is that feeling still bright? Or is it maybe a little bit tarnished? If it is, it's okay. It's okay. The Holy Spirit never leaves us. And he's there to help us. God knows we cannot live a righteous life on our own. It is absolutely impossible. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, verses 16 and 17, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Again, when we ask Jesus to enter our life, we're asking the Spirit to enter our life and fill that emptiness that was inside of us. And when we do that, he regenerates our life. And what I mean by that is he repurposes or casts out our sinful nature and gives us a new life model, modeled after the nature of God. A lot of time, we will hear the term reborn. And just as Nicodemus wrestles to understand, we need to understand we are reborn spiritually to be more Christ-like. Through this rebirth, the Spirit baptizes us not with water, as we do in the church, but from the grace of God, resurrection of Christ, and forgiveness of sin, we are baptized into the body of Christ. With this rebirth comes great power and freedom through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18 reads, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Freedom? Freedom from what? It's that grip of sin. Sin. We're no longer bound to death, but everlasting life in heaven. And thanks to Jesus and the Spirit, we are strengthened. As I said, the Spirit is bound to us. He is the termed indwelling God, given to us at our rebirth to be our God, to keep us on the right path. The Holy Spirit already knows everything about you. Think about it for a second. We are created in the image of God. God created you, so therefore the Spirit already knows everything about you. All of your struggles, all of your desires. In Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The rest of that chapter continues to describe the sins, keeping the world from God, and also the virtues of the Spirit of God. I would highly suggest, recommend, beg, that you go ahead and read Galatians chapter 5 to gain that understanding. What Paul's saying here in Greg's language is by living in this world and allowing yourself to be guided by the Spirit, you will not be as tempted to fall into the trappings of this sinful world. Ephesians 3.16 states that he, God the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might. I pray that this gives you some hope. You are not fighting against your sinful nature alone. Knowing this should make us happy and excited all the time, keeping us full of the Spirit. As I said, the Holy Spirit is here to strengthen us in times of trouble, when we become weak in our faith. We can call on Him to help us at any time. When I think back on my life, I've lost count how many times God has stepped in and pulled me through a situation. Ponder for a moment and recognize the times when only God could have stepped in for you and carried you through a trial. If you don't remember right now, next time you were in prayer or in your quiet time with God, think back to your tough times. I bet you'll recognize God in those situations. Another way the Spirit helps us is to pray to God the Father. He intercedes on our behalf for our prayers. It is written in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should say for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Is become he, the Spirit, makes intercessions for the saints, us, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us during prayer. Now, I'm not smart, so I had to look up what intercedes means in this particular situation. So to intercede is to mediate or plead on another's behalf. This is not to say the Holy Spirit changes what we are praying. He gets side by side with us. He knows our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, and he will speak to God with us on our behalf. But he won't do this on his own. We need to pray. We need to bring our thoughts, praises, needs, concerns to God. And when we do this, the Holy Spirit will join us in prayer. The Holy Spirit also helps us to understand the heart of God. Think of it this way. God will only let us understand his word to the level we're able to understand it. As our relationship grows and our faith deepens, our understanding grows. The Holy Spirit reveals to us more and more through the scriptures as we are able to comprehend it. Think back to when you first started your life with Christ. You'd read the Bible and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But some of the others got it, no problem. It was frustrating. But as time went on, you understood more and more. And that's because the Spirit allowed you to understand more. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. He, he gives believers insight into divine mysteries since he plumbs the depths of God. I clearly remember trying to understand, understand Scripture and the nature of the Lord after my rebirth. 
And I can't tell you how many times I stopped reading the Bible. I would change versions, I would schedule time, just make myself do it over and over again. But slowly, as my faith started to grow, I started making it through the chapter. Oop, I understood a quarter of it. I understood a half of it. I'd read it again, reread stuff that I had read before, and suddenly I understood it in a whole different way. And that's not that I was wrong in my understanding before. It's just that this time, more was revealed to me from the Spirit. Only because I was ready to understand it. I do want to warn you, if you disobey the Holy Spirit, we can silence his help. Okay? We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose the help of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is every time you willingly sin against God, you push the Holy Spirit back. How do you know this is happening? I can answer it with this question. How often are you convicted of your actions or sins? Good one, huh? The more often you feel convicted, the further you are away from God. If you never feel convicted of your sins, you may want to check in on your faith, okay? Even though Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we are all still sinners. Every day, we try not to sin, but we do. And when we do, we get convicted by the Holy Spirit. To say it another way, he points out the sin we just committed. And I hope, for all of you, it's a small number. All right? But we must acknowledge our sin and repent and continue to work towards being more Christ-like. By acknowledging our sin and growing stronger in our faith, the Holy Spirit can do more with us for the glory of God's kingdom. And this is where the power of the Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit can and will shield us from most of the devil's actions against us. Okay? He's not going to stop it completely because we step out on our own and get blasted. Right? But by working with us, keeping us on the path, we become stronger against the devil. So I'd like to take a moment and speak about loneliness. It seems to be all over the news these days. Um, a simple rhetorical question. Do you ever feel alone? Empty. Do you know someone that may feel that way? If the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, are we really ever alone? The truth is, no, we're not. God is with us always ever-present in our relationship. If you start to feel lonely, reach out to the Holy Spirit. He's right there. Build that relationship with him. Let him fill your heart with joy. You are never alone. Let me say that again. You are never alone. God is always with you. With the Holy Spirit, with all the Holy Spirit does to support us, how can we not be filled with joy? 
So earlier I asked some questions. I'm going to ask them again. You guys responded real good the first time, so let's see if we can get more. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that he is the Son of God and that he died to pay for our sins past, present, and future? Yes. Did you ask Jesus into your life? Do you believe the Holy Spirit is your guide, and will you ask him to help you? Yes. So as we leave here today, I'll ask you to reflect on two questions. What kind of relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? The second question is, what can you do to get closer to him? So if you've not asked Jesus into your life, please talk to the pastor when he gets back, one of the lay leaders, or myself, and we will help you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, for your omnipresence. As a sinner, we fall short of your glory. Father, open our hearts to the Spirit. Help us to rely on him. Help him. Help us to keep our path straight. As we leave here today, watch over us until we return next week. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Greg, thank you so much. You know, a few years ago, I filled in for uh, Bill Carroll up in uh, Betterton, and his wife brought up the subject of the Holy Spirit. I said, I've been waiting to talk to someone I could talk for hours about the Holy Spirit. How can you help but brag about someone that good living within you? How can you help but? Thanks for bringing him to light. Him, not it. Him to light. Amen. And uh, also, folks, I would be amiss or remiss, whatever. I forgot something during the pastoral prayer. I'm the visitation minister here for for the nursing homes, and I never brought up our sick and lonely and lost this morning during the pastoral prayer, so we're going to do that now if that's okay. Uh, Lord, we think of those who are not with us today, who are sick, lonely, and lost in nursing homes, assisted living homes, and hospitals who would love to be here, who would love to have heard that scintillating message by Greg but couldn't. May the Holy Spirit fill them with everything they need today. And while we're speaking of that, we lift up the names of those 